you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. But we're glad that you're here today and uh, excited about what God's doing. Amen? Excited about what God's doing among us. Have your Bibles tonight. I'd like to take your attention to the Word of the Lord. Romans chapter 12, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 16. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everybody say a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him what? deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Verse number 25, for whosoever will will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This is Easter week. Friday, we talk about the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection, and that's great, but we don't often talk a lot about Friday. We don't talk a lot about the cross. We rejoice in the resurrection, and but we don't sometimes focus on the death that took place on Friday. So I just, for the next few moments, I just want to speak to you on this subject, the inconvenience of the cross. The inconvenience of the cross. Would you just raise your hand now, and would you ask God to speak into our hearts today? God, we worship and magnify you. We're so thankful for what you are doing among us. We're thankful, Lord, not only that you rose, but we're thankful that you became the ultimate sacrifice. You became the lamb for sinners slain. And God, we we are so grateful because if it were not for your, your, your crucifixion and it wasn't for your resurrection, we wouldn't have hope that we have. God, and we thank you and we celebrate you tonight. Speak into our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. The, the prophecy of Christ to come is a thread that is woven all throughout the Old Testament. Even, if you skip even into the book of Luke, we read about Moses and the prophets as they make mention of the coming Messiah. We see him in Genesis where we read that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that God began to curse the ground as well as Adam and Eve. And then he cursed the serpent, and he said in Genesis 3.15 that there would be the seed of a woman that would bruise the head of the serpent and that the serpent would bruise then the heel of the seed. 
And we know full well that this is speaking of Jesus Christ, but all through Scripture, Psalms talked about it. You see it in Exodus, in the blood of the Lamb that was shed in Egypt. You see it in Isaiah chapter 9, where the prophet talks about those who are in the shadow of death, and it tells us that light can come to the place that is in the shadow of death. What is interesting is that in Isaiah 9 and 2, it talks about that light shall come to those in darkness, and light shall come to those that are in the shadow of death. Then we find that it's no accident that just four verses later that we read, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. What I want you to know tonight, that is that no matter what life has thrown your way, and no matter how uh, bad life has been at times, that there is still a Savior that has been born. There is a Savior that is in this room right now, and it doesn't matter how despairing life has gotten. It doesn't matter how problematic life has been for you, but I've come to tell you that there is a light in the evening time, and it doesn't matter how dark things have become because God has come to bring light in your darkness. He did it on Calvary, and he's here tonight to do it again for you. If you believe it, clap your hands and give God praise. So when you read in the book of Genesis that you will find that chapters 1 through 4 contain the story of creation, I've I've enjoyed so thoroughly, um, Brantley now at nighttime does nothing more than wants me to read the Bible to him. I thank God for that, but we've been reading in Genesis, we've been reading the story of creation, and I've so thoroughly enjoyed it, but you find that chapters 1 through 4 contain the story of creation that now and then it now starts to talk about the creation of man and the six days of creation give way to Adam and Eve's fall and eventual uh, removal from the Garden of Eden. And when we come to chapter 5, it is one of the one of the treaded chapters, and please understand what I'm saying because it's full of names that are almost unpronounceable. I don't even know if that's a word, but you can hardly... It's, it's like when you get into uh, Matthew and you so-and-so begat so-and-so and, and my ADD kicks in and I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I, you make up names and you know that's not the way they sound. But we read in, in Genesis that Adam begat Seth and Canaan begat Mahaliel. I think that's right. I don't know if it is or not. Try to be the one in the pulpit that's trying to, to, to pronounce these names, and you know you're not even getting them close. And we kind of make them up as we read along, but you will find that in chapter 5, the begats represent a time period, uh, and God's word at the, in that time period is not even wasted on the begats. We read that, and we think, well, why why do we have to go through the whole lineage? What's What's the purpose? And we sometimes think, it's easy to think, well, that's just a filler, but God's word is not wasted ever. And when we read that Adam beget Seth and we start reading the lineage, that is there for a reason. God, God is trying to show us something, and so often we just we kind of skip over it and we, don't, we just kind of breeze through it as fast as we can, uh, but we never really take, take time to, to read and to study out why the word of God is telling us these names. So we read in Genesis 5, 1 through 6, in the book of the generations of Adam, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female.
female created he them. He blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he begot, begat Seth were 800 years and he begot son, begat san, sons and daughters. And in the, and the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enoch. And so that is the narrative all throughout chapter 5 of Genesis how long they lived and when they had children and what the names of the children were and what and 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 what the lineage what how the family tree just began begin to to form all the way from Adam to Noah now once you get through chapter 5 it gets interesting again because you have Noah and the ark and it continues from there until you get to Leviticus and you run into a bunch of begats and laws again. But why? Why are they listed? Because God wanted to put something there to tell the Jews from the beginning that there is something greater coming in your future. So every name, when it is translated into what it means and what it represents, Adam, Seth, Enoch, and all the way down to Noah, you will find that there is a message that was embedded in the scripture so that they would know that a Savior is coming. Look at what it says. When you go, when you go through chapter 5, it's, it's really not as boring as, as it may seem when you understand what the name represents. Humor me for a moment. You have Adam, which is man. You have Seth, which means anointed. You have Enoch, which means mortal. You have Canaan, which means sorrow. Mahaliel, which means the blessed God. Jared, which means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah. It's not just an old person, but his death shall bring. Lamech, the despairing, Noah, comfort and rest. So when you read the names of, of, of the, this lineage all the way from Adam to Noah, there is a message when you begin, begin to put the meaning to it, and it could read like this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. What I want you to know tonight is that there are no words in the word of God that are a waste. If we just take the time to, to study out what it says, we'll find a message. And the message is that God created man. And he didn't just create man. And yes, man fell. But he created, he started, started a whole process in line that one day there would be a Savior that would be born. And not just a baby born, but there would be a Savior, a Christ, that would go to a cross and shed his blood so that you and I could have life. But it would not end there. But three days later, the grave would, would give way to a risen Savior that we may have life and have that more abundantly. Aren't you glad for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that he became the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, that we may have life and have it more abundantly? Chapter 5 contains a prophecy that God is going to come down from heaven, that he was going to teach a doctrine, and when he did, he was going to give his life and bring rest and comfort to the despairing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've come to preach to you or to teach to you however you want to 
determined tonight, but I've come to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ still works today. What Jesus did at Calvary still makes a difference today. We don't need another pill. We don't need another elected politician to bring us hope, but we need the gospel. What Jesus did at Calvary still makes a difference today. No matter what you're facing in life, the gospel still contains what we need to make it through this life that we are living. Calvary matters. It's not just a story that we read in the Bible. It's not, it's not just something that we, we celebrate once a year. It's not something that we do and talk about a risen Savior once a year. But Calvary really does matter. But hear me tonight. But Calvary is in vain if there is no resurrection. What Jesus did at Calvary would have been in vain had he not rose from the dead. If, if he hadn't rose three days later, then we would have just read about another death in the word of God. But that's not what happened. But we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 14, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. So don't only celebrate Good Friday, which was the cross where he died, but we celebrate three days later, which is Easter, when he got up from the grave. Aren't you glad that he got up from the grave? Aren't you glad that he's not dead in a tomb somewhere? Aren't you glad that his, he didn't just live his life for 33 and a half years and that was it? But we celebrate the fact that he rose because death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. He was perfect in all his ways. We're not talking about history tonight, but we're talking about the one who gave his life, who gave came up out of the grave, and he is here, and he is alive forevermore. He has given us power. He has given us authority and dominion because he rose, because he not just it's not just to remove our sins and I'm thankful that that it does it's not just to get us into heaven and I'm glad that it's going to but it is to put us back in to our order and into who we are in Christ when God made man he said I am putting you here and he said I'm going to give you dominion which means I'm going to give you control. That means to rule. That means to be the head and not the tail. You know, so, so many times as Christians, we think that we, we have to give up our spot and we've got to be, we talk about it being humility and we just have, we, we think that we just got to roll over and, and let everybody take advantage of us. But God said, you're, 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 you're the head and you're not the tail. That means that, we are to be above and not beneath. It's talking about the order of who God has created us to be. Yes, Psalms 8 says that we are made a little lower than the angels, but we are still made in the image of God. He is the creator of all things, and he created us. In his image. John 1, 1 through 4 says it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That is why at creation he stood in Genesis 1, and he declared, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But it wasn't hopeless. It was darkness, Pastor Brandon, but it wasn't hopeless. It was dark, but there was still going to be hope. Because when God saw darkness, he saw void, 
and he saw chaos. And the Spirit of God moves upon the face of the waters. Can I tell you tonight that God's Spirit moves in chaos? You're here tonight and you feel that your life is chaos and you feel like, and, and, it, and it really is, you look at the world all around us and it's chaos here and it's chaos there. It is fighting here and it's fighting there. It's threatening here and it's threats that are taking place and, and, and it's, it's chaos. But God specializes in chaos. His spirit moves on dark places. His spirit moves on where there is void, but it doesn't, he doesn't just leave us there because in verse 3 it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Think about that. Nothing. No light. Nothing but darkness. And the God of all creation stepped on the scene. He said, Let there be Well, light showed up sometime later, or it was several days. No, let there be light, and there was light. Can I tell you tonight that no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what circumstance you may be going through, no matter how dark your night may seem tonight, God, all God has to do is speak one word. All God has to do is say, let there be and there will be. God can say to you tonight, let there be peace, and you're going to have peace. Or let there be rest, and you're going to have rest. Maybe you haven't rested in quite some time, but God has come to this place to say, let there be rest. And when he does, you will rest like you've never rested before. That's the kind of God that we serve. And his words are for a purpose when he speaks it. Creation takes place. That's the kind of God that we serve. When he speaks, it can't help but happen. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter how long it's been dark. It doesn't matter how long things have been a mess. God said that there was going to be light, and there was light. And light came in the evening time. I'm talking to somebody today that it doesn't matter how long you've been in darkness. When God starts speaking his word to you, light is going to move into your darkness and he is going to bring order into your chaos. All you have to do is trust him. All you have to do is ask him to speak one time into your situation and it will completely turn around. And when it does, and when creation takes place, when God speaks the creative word, things will never be the same for you again. You don't have to go back to what it used to be. Things don't have to go back to normal as you see it. But when God speaks it, it will forever change. His word is forever settled in heaven. Come on, if you believe it, clap your hands. that it matters what God says. We live in a dark world, but there is still light. We live in a dark hour, but there is still light. Everybody shout, there's still light. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Light always, somebody shout always, light always pierces darkness. Light affects darkness, but darkness cannot affect light. I tell you that CLC should not just be another church in our community. I'm going to say that again. Brother Duggar's not here, but I'm going to say it again. CLC 
should not just be another church in our community. CLC should not just be another nice building in our city. But if we are not the light in people's darkness, we are wasting our time. If we are not the light in people's darkness, we are not being who God has called us to be. And I'm just going to get down to where we live, and I'm not going to just talk about the church. I'm not going to just talk about Christian Life Church, but I'm going to talk about you and me for a moment. If we are not the light in people's darkness, we are not being who God has created us to be. People who are living in darkness should be able to come to CLC and find light. They ought to be able to say, I'm tired of living in darkness, and I'm going to that place because I know that there is light there. Come on, somebody. We need to be what we are have been called to be. We need to be the church of the living God that is bringing hope, peace, and light to a dark world. Come on. I'm going to preach it until somebody believes it tonight. We've got to start being the church. We've got to start being the light in this dark and and dying world is it's who God's called us to be. That is the purpose of the church. That is the purpose of the church. No, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. The, the church is not just a beautiful building on Wabash Avenue. But the church is a community of people who don't just possess the light. We're not supposed to just possess the light. But the church is supposed to be the light. God has called us to be the light in the dark world. He said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And I say to CLC and to every person in this building that make up this great church, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for every one of you. And I say to you tonight that ye are the light of the world. If this city is ever going to be, ever going to experience the light of Jesus Christ, it's going to become from you and from me. It's going to come from our lives and our relationship with God. But it will only happen when we are being what God has called us all right tonight? Come on, if it's all right, put your hands together. Clap them to the Lord. But the next verse says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That means not just at your home, but that means at the workplace. That means at, there's no young people in here, or I'd tell them that means at your school. That means at your family reunions or wherever, wherever you are to be the light of the world. That's why that we talk different. That's why, Brother Jerry, that we walk different than everybody else. That's why some of us, and, I, and listen to me, I'm talking to me as just as much as I'm talking to anybody else tonight. But that is why that we've got to get control of our emotions. That's why, that's why we got to get control of ourselves. Sometimes, I, today, I'll just be honest with you. I had somebody sit in front of me that made me sit almost entirely through a green light. Come on, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And it's it's comical, but it's easy as we go through life, as we go through our days, to get caught up in our emotions. And it's all about, Pastor Brandon, how, how we're feeling or what's going on in our lives. And, and it's easy to blame it on uh, what, what, what's happening in life. It's easy. The truth of the matter is, is we got to get control of ourselves. We 
got to get control of ourselves because we, we can't we can't be the light, Brother Scotty. We can't be the light to people and yell at them at a red light. We can't be the light and holler at somebody in Walmart's parking lot because they made a single-fingered gesture at you. Happened to me a while back. I'm convicted about this because I, I, I too, I too struggle with these things. But God is telling us you are the light of the world. Bitter water and sweet water cannot come from the same well. You hear me tonight? You you can't you can't you can't have it both ways. It can't you can't be you can't be the light and still spreading darkness. You can't you can't uh, be the hope that someone needs. You can't you can't snatch them out of a devil's hell when you are living a life that's going to take them right back to where you're trying to. You understand what I'm saying? You can't have it both ways. It's one, it's bitter or it's sweet. It can't be bitter and sweet. It can't be a mixture. You can't, you can't possess some light and still have darkness. It's got to be light or darkness. And listen, light, as I've already said, light can erase the darkness in, in, in the world. The light of the church, the light of God can erase the darkness. But we, we often think that, that, that what's going on in the world, the world's dark, and we allow it to affect our life. You understand what I'm saying? We, 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 we talk about it. We talk about it, how crazy things are in life. We talk about, you know, the Bible talks about Wars and rumors of wars, well, that's where we're living. I mean, every day, somebody's threatening somebody. We got some little short dude that is threatening always to annihilate America. Okay, whatever. That, that's the world that we are living. Those are the times that we are living in right now. There's a lot of darkness but if we are not careful, hear me tonight, if we are not careful, we will allow darkness to affect us. When we allow darkness to affect our light, then we've got things completely upside down because darkness cannot affect light. But when the church of the living God, the light of the world, decides to stand up and to be what God has called us to be, then suddenly this this world won't be so dark anymore because we are spreading light. Come on, somebody, tonight in this place, we need to start standing up and portraying the light of Jesus Christ in our community, in our region, at our jobs, in our homes, at our schools. Somebody say we're different. That's why we don't do what everybody else does. Because when we allow the world to dump all of its trash and filth on us, we are allowing a bushel to hide our light. We are diminishing our light. That is why some of us struggle and why we have amazing experiences on Sunday. And are living in darkness by Wednesday. You know, you can say, well, that's not me. That may be not you. And thank God if it's not. But there are those that really do struggle. And they're not bad people. They're not. doesn't mean that they're just living a, a, a total sinful life. But it means that they're allowing the darkness to affect their light. And they're great on Sunday. And they're, they're struggling and in, in, in darkness by Wednesday because they, we, they are allowing darkness to try to influence them. It's not the will of God. 
that we indulge in worldliness and carnality to where we know who we are on Sunday, but we can't remember what it is God wants us to do by Thursday. Can I get an amen? It is because the world is coming into our homes. We are allowing darkness in. But we've got to take a stand and start realizing just who it is that we are. We are the light of the world. We are the hope of the world. We've got the answer that the world needs. The drug dealer needs what we have. The alcoholic needs what we have. The broken home needs what we have. So I say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Come on, somebody. Let's be the light of the world. Let's be the light of the world. Let's be who God's called us to be. I'm quickly drawn to a close. There are people that live in this city that are walking in darkness. We cannot afford to lose our purpose at Theos. You know, I talked about already the wars and rumors of wars. The Bible says that when you start seeing these things, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. We cannot afford to lose our purpose. God has called us to be the light in this dark hour. I know that the Bible said there would be perilous times, and I believe that we are seeing that right now. The Bible even says that some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. I believe that we're seeing that now. I fully understand that. But don't think for a moment that the grace of God is not powerful enough to secure us, to seal us and our children from what is going on in the world. I'm not fearful. Hear me tonight. I am not fearful of the end times because my Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I believe that I'm going to be all right. God is with me. He is going to take care of me. He is going to preserve me. He is going to provide for me. Because if he took care of Daniel in a lion's den, then he's going to take care of Daniel, Cheryl, Aiden, and Brantley. If he took care of the three Hebrew boys, then he's going to take care of three Hoosiers and a Razorback. Because if God did it once, Brother Alfonso, if God put in his word that he shut the mouths of lions for Daniel, then we can rest assured that that was not just a one and done deal. Listen, I hope none of y'all fall into a lion's den. And if I'm with you, don't expect me to come rescue you. I'll pray for you, but I'm not jumping in there with you. But it's not a one and done deal. The healings that we read about in the word of God are not just a one done deal that it happened for them and it can't happen for you. But if God put it in the pages of this unbelievable book that has been on the best selling list for so many years, if God did it for them, then God can do it for you. If God healed them, God can heal you. If God made a way for them, God can make a way for you. We just got to believe it. You know, I, I thank you. That was a good amen. I feel like telling somebody that you are, you're not alone. He's going to take care of you. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't, don't throw in the towel and just say, well, if it's going to be this way, I, I, I'm going to quit because things are never going to get better. Let me tell you something. You're not alone. You may feel alone, and it may look like you're all alone, but God said in his word that he would never leave you nor forsake you. That means he would ne he'll never turn his back on you. I don't care what you do in life. 
Now listen, I'm not saying that that's a license to go out and live any way that you want to live because I don't believe that God's going to honor that. But I do believe that when we make bad choices, I do believe, Pastor Brandon, that when we make bad decisions and we bring things on our own, I believe that means that God will be there with us. He'll never turn his back on us. You can never do anything so so greatly uh, immoral that would cause God just to walk away from you and say, I, I don't want anything to do with you. But you can, you, when you mess up, you can rest assured that God is going to be there with you. And that there may be consequences for the way that you're living. But God said, I will never turn my back on you. He knew the decisions that we were going to make. He knew that we were going to mess up. And he said, I'm not going to turn my back on you, but I will be with you always. The great God that we serve. But in the same token, we better never get to the point where we say, thank you for healing me. Thank you for bringing me out of despair. Thank you for bringing me out of my mess. But God, I'll take it from here. I just get real with you. I, I've 46 years old. I've, I've seen some things in my life. And I've seen people. God help me right now. I've seen people that didn't want anything to do with God until calamity struck. And then all of a sudden, they run to an altar. And then they want. God's help. Listen, God will help. But you better never get to the point where you just say, well, man, I'm glad he did that. Man, I, I'll take it from here, and, and I'll see you the next time, next time that I have trouble. I, I'll see you, I'll see you when, when my kids mess up and, and, and their life's a wreck, and they, they, they're, they're facing jail time, and they're facing all these things. I'll see you then, God. No, we better never get to that point where we say, God, I, I don't need you because the truth of the matter is every day that we wake up, every time we get out of bed, every time we put our feet on the floor, we need God. We need God. We don't need him just on Sunday. We don't need him just on Wednesday. We don't need him just when things are going bad. But we need him when things are going good because we can't take our next breath without his help. We need God lest we fall right back into the pit that we fall Paul says, I am what I am only because of him. He's still my shepherd. And I'm going to have to follow him if I'm ever going to get where I need to be. Brother Jerry, if I'm ever going to make heaven, and I hope to, I hope to God I do. You know, my grandfather, before he passed away, I'll never forget, I've shared this story before. He was down at death's door, and I'll never forget, I went up to his house, and he looked at me, and he said, Dick, uh, Danny, uh, he called me everybody's name but mine, and he said, he, with tears in his eyes, he looked at me, you're going to make it. Yeah, not if you don't make it. There ain't no hope for me. I hope you make it, because I hope I make it. The truth of the matter is, if I'm ever going to get there one day, I must follow where he leads. I've got to be the light in the darkness. Listen, it's not just enough that we, we follow what the Bible says about holiness and righteousness and have to do those things, but we've also, we can't neglect the calling that God has placed upon our life, and that is to be light in the darkness. Listen, it's, 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 
not always comfortable. It's not always, it doesn't always feel good. Sometimes you got to take a stand when you don't want to take a stand. Sometimes you got to neglect when you know that it's going to bring ridicule on your life and others. Rather, you can't have it both ways. You've got to be God-centered. I'm closing tonight with this. You've got to be God-centered. It's called Calvary. When you live right, God allows you to become a light. The Bible says that your life is an epitome of the thread of all men. I tell you, people are reading your life you think they're not any parents in the house that you've ever had a discussion or thought was in private only to have your kid come up and say dad I heard you say dad everything's going to be alright anybody ever been there just like they watch you just like they can read you seeing if it's real or not. They're seeing if it's real or not. Is it just a church thing? Is it just a season or do they really have something that I'm I believe I want to make some statements as I close tonight. I believe that God is going to send in these last days an old-fashioned revival. And I never thought that I would be the age where I would talk about old-fashioned anything. What God is wanting to send to us is so great that He is preparing this church for something mighty and powerful And I do want to tell you this, that this building I'm going to pause here and say that we are not the only church that God's going to do this for. Is that all right? This building can't contain it. We've begun construction on the north building, and I thank God for it. Thank God for the future of this church. I thank God for, the, for our young people, for our children's ministry. Can I tell you what, what God is wanting to do in this last day? cannot be contained in the North Building. We're going to see many miracles. We're going to see many healings. There's going to be so many prodigals who come back home. God is not done dealing with people. He doesn't give up on people. But He's still old-fashioned revival means the church waking up and the church becoming the church do you know what follows an old-fashioned revival I tell you what follows an old-fashioned revival a harvest follows an old-fashioned revival you could never allow the sinner going down in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ to just become normal church. I'm going to say that again. You should never look at someone being baptized in the name of Jesus and think, oh man, I hope, I hope this is over quick. That should never become normal to us. I'm going to say it till you respond. That should never become normal to us. Should never, should never, help me right now. We should never become so used to it that it doesn't disturb us. 
There should never be a time when we find ourselves carrying on a conversation about what's going on in the world and going on in our lives why a sinner is at this altar pouring their heart out and seeking the Holy Ghost. Man, I wish they would hurry up. I've got places to go and things to do. I've got, I, I got what I need. I wish they would just close this thing down and let us go. If we're not careful, we will forget the reason why we are here. We have forgotten that the revival is awful. said it like this. He said, Father, if this could, let it pass. Let it pass. Don't make me go through it again. And then the spirit went out when he said, nevertheless, not, at, not, not as I will, but thy will be done. The cross in your world, as the cross was in his world, is a place of dying out to what you want and submitting to what you want. It is inconvenient. We are all busy. We're all busy. I, I, I'm blessed to serve with the, the rest of these ministers, Pastor Dylan, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Jordan. Honored to serve as assistant pastor to them. The truth of the matter is, I'm also a dad. I'm a husband. I own a business. I have a yard to mow. My dad mows it most times. But I have a yard to mow. I have a house to take care of. But I'm also responsibilities to this church and to this congregation. Sometimes, can I get real with you? Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes. Sometimes the work doesn't get done because someone is in the hospital. Sometimes my kids get to bed later than normal because of my ministerial obligations or because had a move of God in the service. Can I tell you, I would rather have a move of God and my boys go to school tired than there for there to be an absence of a move of God and deal with the chaos and them have to deal with the chaos in their world. Hear me, when God has taken you to higher heights and deeper depths and not always convenient for our flesh, one thing you can rest assured, God always makes up for it. You will never have a cross that you give something to that God doesn't give it back in return. The wants are not always going to be fulfilled. The desires are not always going to be met. Our wants and our desires have to become a sacrifice. We submit to the will of God and his ways become our ways and his desires become our desires. Suddenly, what I sacrifice, what I had to give up, fades in comparison to being in the middle of what God is doing. Sure, it's inconvenient, but the cross was also Where somebody comes to your house, picks up your groceries, and feeds you. 
times they do the airplane. We are living in a time of convenience, but Calvary does not have a blue light plan. There is no shortcut. There are no two-for-one specials available. This is no have-it-your-way right away. There will always be a cross involved in order to see a breakthrough in your family and in your children. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We cannot be an end-time church and fall into an end-time culture and say, well, if I wake up early enough in the morning, then I'll pray. It is inconvenient. It's not always going to be easy or we're not always going to be successful. There are going to be mornings when we wake up and in the middle of prayer we begin to mourn. It happens. It happens. We're not going to be punished though there is a price to pay. We have to push sleep aside. We have to push the plate and say, tonight we get a whole different posture. God does not move without you. Stand with me right where you're at. It is inconvenient, but it's worth it. Anytime that God inconveniences you, it calls a miracle of something great and Slumber always comes before the cross. Slumber always comes before an answer because even Jesus said, Can you just stay awake for just one hour? Slumber comes before the most critical time there was in three and a half years of being with him, slumber came upon him. The Bible says, he that slumbereth through the harvest, he that sleeps through the harvest, shameth his father. All that laboring, and right before the harvest, he's wearing himself out. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. miracles and moves that I have ever experienced first happened when I did not want to. They happened when I did not want to respond, but I did anyway. Inconvenience. Inconvenience. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it was just down in this front as a parent and you see what you've done for your children for your children when every time I look up on this platform and I see my son singing whether in the choir on the front line when I see him running track and loops whatever when I see him involved I just have to say God every sacrifice every time I didn't feel like it every time I said come on kids we're going to the house of God it was worth everything when I see my kids serving God. But it comes with a price. We're willing to wait 45 minutes at a restaurant. If it's going to be worth it, man, that, that food, food's going to be worth it. We're willing to do that. We can't bring ourselves to come early for prayer on a Sunday night. convenient. What is wrong with us? 
God? Is it inconvenienced us to the point that we would rather forego for the convenience of showing up just in time for service today? Is it too strong for you? I hope it's not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm inconvenient to serve, have to show up early, have to give up my nap time, but let me tell you, can I tell you that everyone who serves, that gives up of your time, your, your, even your treasure, your, your talents, everyone in this, serve, in this church that serves, you are what makes CLC what we are, and I thank God for every one of you. I thank God for every one of you. You come in tired. You come in weary. But listen, when we stand before God and we hear him say, well done, it's going to be worth every sacrifice. It's going to be worth every missed nap when God says, well done. Sorry, I'll say this and I'll be, I'll be done. My father-in-law.
place, God, that you would help us to give way to be those things that you teach us from doing what we know to do and what we ought to do. And realize, God, that you are calling us to greatness, calling us to a mighty harvest. have the drive and the strength to say whatever it costs. God, whatever 